listeners of fine scientific content. It's the Science Shed, and it's Steve here. How are you doing? Um, I thought I'd record a bit of a preamble to explain um, a bit of the podcast, because quite a lot's happened. In fact, it's the end of the world. Um, I hope you all are okay. Uh, you're all at home and doing okay uh, in isolation, trying to avoid this evil zombie virus before it gets us all. I think we can all agree that that the winners here clearly are dogs. Dogs have got their humans home, uh, and that seems to be doing brilliantly for them. Perhaps it's been a conspiracy uh, by dogs in order to just get more time with their humans. Who knows? Anyway, the podcast you're about to listen to was recorded towards the end of last year in uh, the end of October 2019 in my flat in Finsbury Park between Nick, myself and Eleanor. Um, And this one's focused around the Nobel Prizes of 2019. And we were sat around. We had a quiz. It's about the vagaries of of, um, hypoxia and of lithium-ion batteries. But it all seems a bit pointless now, considering it's the end of the world. But if it's got to be the end of the world and you've got to listen to one last podcast, I think the Science Shed should be it. So sit back, download this onto your podcast media device of choice, get yourself a beer, relax, and we'll see you soon. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting? Nobel Prizes, Steve. I know they're actually good this year. (laughs) Do you know what? Let me tell you something. Did you? Did you? We, Eleanor. Do you get as excited as the Nobel Prizes as I do? No, because I'm not a white man. Uh, (laughs) You got no chance of winning (laughs) it then. Yeah, Um, not that I consider myself a chance of winning it, but I do get quite excited around October. Hmm. Um, I just got a. I just didn't get a grant. Right, um, and as part of that process, I got. Can interviewed. I just say something? Yeah. Ha ha. <laughs> um, but anyway, as part of that, I had a series of mock interviews, and one of the people that interviewed me was Sir Peter Ratcliffe. Interviewed me for my grant I didn't get. Really? He yeah. was on the panel of the of synergy my, of my mock interview. Right. I didn't oh, get the it. Mock interview. Right, yeah. Right, right. And he was really mean about my my proposal. Was he? In what way? He hated it. Well, he hated it in the proposal, and afterwards, he said it was a really good idea. Oh right. He loved it, well, but he, just... he was he was playing bad cop. Yeah, of course he was. Yeah. He That's said, interesting. He said, he said about the, he said that the, he said, during the interview, he said, maybe I shouldn't say this, maybe we can't put this out. He said, this is one of the most complicated grants I've ever read, and your presentation is one of the simplest I've ever seen. Is that <laughs> so a good know, thing or a bad thing? I don't thing? know. Well, it obviously didn't work, but anyway. Oh, Anyway, Nobel Prizes. Well, that's some good feedback for the future. You need to make your presentation slightly more, more complex com- and your grant application <laughs> much more simple. Yeah, well, maybe. So I was going to talk about the, the Nobel Prize for, in Physiology and Medicine. Right. Um, I was going to ask you about it. Were you? you? I bet you've got that letter from Nature, haven't you? I haven't brought the letter from Nature. Oh, okay, I'm I've... kind of bored with all the people sharing them on. Yeah, I saw one on Twitter the other day, and there was someone going, "Oh, well, I've been for," and you're like, "Oh, just for God's sake!" You know, it's like a it's like a humble brag now. But you know, he's got it on his wall. Yeah, fair yeah, play to in the his guy. Office. Yeah, so he got it for for hypoxia, right? He did. Tell us about why it's important, Nick. Okay, so... Do you, know, do you know anything about this? I didn't really understand. What you... I've been watching a lot of House recently. Okay. So <laughs> all my knowledge about hypoxia is kind of through the lens of a medical drama. Right. So I... no. <laughs> <coughs> it's dead important. Hypoxia. So this is quite interesting because it's very important to be able to scent the amount of oxygen you've got in your body so your body can respond accordingly. Can you give me one example where you think about oxygen... Running. concentrations oh are you close close to that yeah so exercise yeah so or dying 
uh, dying. Yeah, yeah. Cells, cells must, must die. Yeah, how about ad- adaptation to particularly in particular environments? Okay. Can well, you if think you're about climbing that? a mountain. Exactly. So people that lived at altitude were known to have a lot more blood, red blood cells than people at lower altitude. Mm-hmm. And for a while, people worked out, this was in a long time ago, they worked out there was a hormone called erythropoietin, which you've probably heard of. EPO. cyclists take it. Yeah. yeah. EPO, what, it's a hormone. What, um, uh, Lance Armstrong was taking, wasn't it? Oh, they, yeah. they were Amongst other people. Exactly. So you end up with more, more red blood cells, you carry more oxygen around your body, and your muscles have a greater capacity to do work. So yep. that's why people go altitude training, because it has the same effect, but without injecting it. And basically, your kidneys make this hormone tell your bones to make blood. Yeah. Right? So the question was, people were working on general scientific question, how do kidneys sense the oxygen? Yeah. Right? So anyway, how does the, sense, how does the kidney sense the, the oxygen? Basically, what this guy did, he put the gene, so there's a gene for EPO, so a piece of DNA code, which codes to make the protein. Mm-hmm. So when the gene switched on, the protein is being made. So in the kidneys, you've got a switch, switches the gene on, EPO is made. How is that switch controlled? Often with genes, there's bits either side of the actual bit that codes for the protein, which control how much is made. Okay, called elements, either so there's different names for them, it doesn't matter. Mm. This guy sort of made little pieces of DNA and put them in experimental animals with bits of it missing and bits of it added. And basically found out that when you used a longer bit, it was controllable. So it would respond to oxygen. And when you had a small bit, it would just continually these, make it. These are in animal models, are they? You do yeah. These in mice or yeah, yeah. So okay. basically from that, it worked, they worked out that there's some switch either side of the EPO gene yeah. which controls it. So that's the oxygen. That's what's controlling it. So something interacting with the switch either side of the gene to control how much of it's made, right? Got it. So, okay, how's the switch controlled? So they did a bunch of stuff where they basically analyze things that bound to the switch either side okay and they found a bunch of proteins one of which was called hif later became known as hif which is called hypoxia inducible factor one alpha and that's a protein yeah it's a protein something called a transcription factor that binds to the switch and turns it on okay so we know now that erythropoietin is oxygen sensitive yeah that somehow the switch is controlled by oxygen yeah. and the switch is controlled by this protein called Hif. Yeah, so it's like the the spider that swallowed the fly. That yeah, you know, yeah. we're getting, we're following a train down. We're trying to get to the elephant at the end. <laughs> right. Anyway, perhaps he'll die. <clears throat> so basically, to cut a long story short, they found eventually that the Hif protein is constituently broken down by oxygen. So in normal circumstances, yeah, it's chomped up by a thing in the cell. It's a big, like, stomach of the cell called the proteasome that digests proteins, Mm -hmm. specific proteins. And it's controlled because it knows which proteins are which. The proteins have a little label on them. Called ubiquitin. Yes, exactly. But there's another another swallow of the fly and the thing that goes... But anyway, so... (laughs) It's complicated, this cell stuff, isn't it? it, Yeah, it's very complicated. Lots of different things, but... Okay, so let me me refresh. So there's, there's a switch which turns on... A gene, and and there's a transcription factor that controls that switch called HIF, the called protein, HIF. yeah. And that that so that protein is expressed, usually made and chomped up all the time by the cell because oxygen's present. Ah. And the reason that it's chomped up all the time is because an enzyme, which is oxygen sensitive, yeah, it's a lys- it's called a lysol um, hydroxylase, 
is modifying that particular protein. Basically. So it's like three three layers down where I yeah, it's yeah. like it's inception. Like inception exactly. Yeah, right. So basically, and and then there's there's pro, there's another. <laughs> Elena's protein. shaking her head. She doesn't see why it is like in, inception. Anyway, so Ratcliffe. So these guys basically found out how that whole thing worked. So basically, it's how HIF is sensed by oxygen yeah. through its modification through binding to it. The reason that they've got the Nobel Prize is because it's so important in loads of different medicine, like particularly in cancer biology. The thing is, HIF controls loads of other stuff, not just EPO. It yeah. controls stuff like how much blood vessels form. Because when oxygen's low, basically the HIF is preserved, right? It makes sense. It you're, you're, grind... rea- you're reacting to uh, environmental stimulus, right? Yeah, it's so, like so an you... oxygen stat. Or... It's like a, an yeah. oxostat. So when, when the oxygen's very low, there's lots of this HIF floating around in the cells, and it's like a master controller. It controls lots of other genes, lots of other proteins, one of which, just for an example, is called vascular endothelial growth factor. Long name. Damn but all you, all you need to know is that's the signal to make blood vessels. Right. So when you've got very low oxygen in tissues, yeah, this VGF is made and it tells surrounding tissues, I need blood vessels grow into me because the blood vessels will bring more oxygen. Basically, that's what cancer does. Cancer survives because it's fed by blood vessels. It can talk to the tissues and gain nourishment from what's around it. So if you have very high levels of HIF in cancerous cells, blood vessels grow into it. So there's a big focus on trying to interrupt that in some way to stop tumours growing yeah. by, by growing blood vessels. And there's loads of other stuff as well. Yeah. Is this is this similar to, is this related to the problem of uh, hypoxic centres in tumours? Like I know that the exactly. middle of tumours are <clears throat> hypoxic and so is that then the signal to build the blood vessels into the tumour? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, tumours have got, I mean it's much more complicated than that. But, but it overlaps with loads of other bits but like we... we most people at some point who work in biology will come across HIFs and hypoxia and things like that. Like in bone biology, for instance, we're doing stuff like that at the moment because if you grow osteoblast cells that make bone, they are very oxygen sensitive and they make more bone when there's lots of oxygen around and less bone when there's not much oxygen around. Right. Conversely, osteoclasts, they chomp up bone, so they resorb bone basically. They are inhibited by high levels of oxygen and they're more active in hypoxia. So you get more bone degradation when oxygen concentrations are pretty low. So, um, but anyway, I'm just using that as an example of yeah. the fact that it impinges on lots of other things. So that's, I think that's why they've been awarded the Nobel Prize because it's, uh, it's, it's something which took a long time to sort of suss out and which has become very relevant for lots of other different research fields. Well, congratulations to them. Yeah. Listeners, I've just given Eleanor and Nick some jelly babies. It was the only way to revive them. Nom nom nom. <laughs> nom 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 nom. That's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad. Oh yeah. Are you ready to get on with a bit more science podcasting? Yeah. <laughs> Nick, it's quiz time. Quiz, it's a quiz, it's a quiz, 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 it's a quiz, it's a quiz, it's a quiz, quiz, quiz. Bring it on. Quiz, it's a quiz, it's a quiz, 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 qui
We know what time of year it is. What time of year it's is it? It's awards season. Hooray! It's uh, Ig Nobel, Ig right. Nobel time. Right. Uh, you guys know what the Ig Nobel prizes are? Remind, remind us. So these are awards that are given out to, I guess you'd call it improbable research or, or research, the applications of which uh, are not immediately obvious. But the point is, it's science done correctly. It's just yes. generally done on very weird f- things. Yeah. Uh, and often, uh, in a lot of cases, the the uh, sort of conclusions of the work do then become quite relevant and interesting to the field. Yeah, I think it kind of started off as a bit of a joke. Yeah. But actually, people are using it now to kind of hold a mirror up to you know interesting things. Like a few years ago, someone did something on using um, tequila as a carbon source to make uh, diamonds um, <laughs> because it was you know of course it's completely stupid but it gets people to you know well what's what's a diamond what's ethanol carbon carbon you know all those kind of so there's a, so there's kind of good science underneath it but the application generally is a bit yeah. silly and it's it's a it's a good way of, of getting the general public interested in in the sort of odd stuff that scientists get up to uh, yeah. and how well they get up to it or not <laughs> or not <laughs> well, okay, I mean maybe. I remember going to one in I went to it in. I went to this ceremony or some lectures in like 2006 or something, right. quite a long time ago. They have a little ceremony they once they announce them. Well, they, or each of the people... cool panel to be a part of. <laughs> like, yeah. how do you prioritise one over the other? But each of the people did a little... And one of them, I remember, was quite a strange guy. And he'd written a paper which reported um, necrophilia, homosexuality, and the mallard duck. Oh, right. <laughs> um, it's like a case study. Right. It was just a bit weird. Yeah. It just seemed to me he was looking out his window and he saw a mallard right. trying to mate with a dead a other male mallard. <laughs> and that formed the basis of it. All right. Well, I, you, you need But then there was another one with, with like, you know, what attracts mosquitoes to people's feet and things right. like that as well, which is also quite interesting. I saw one that was uh, the harmonic motion of carrying a full cup of tea. Uh, and how many steps you can take before the harmonic motion is such that you, you start spill to spill it. the tea. So, I mean, this is stuff that Very does find application. Very important lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the Ig Nobel 2019 quiz, I've got five categories of award. We've got right. medicine, we've right. got biology, we've got anatomy, chemistry, and peace. Because right. uh, there is a peace prize. Uh, but no and, economics. Uh, I, I mean, it's a bit dull. Okay. There's money. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Uh, and for each of them, uh, multiple choice. Uh, and right. You're both going to decide which... Uh, complete right. the sentence, basically. Okay. Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with the Round prize one. for medicine. Right. All right. So the this year's Ig Nobel for medicine was handed out to a research group for collecting evidence that pizza might protect against illness and death, but only under specific circumstances. Are those circumstances A, if the pizza contains at least two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, B, if the pizza is made and eaten in Italy, or C, if the pizza is consumed cold? Protective against illness and death. Two tablespoons of olive oil, Mm -hmm. exclusive Italian, Mm -hmm. cold. Okay. All right. <sighs> you got to you got to talk us through your thought process, Nick. <laughs> do we have to put the? Do we? Are, are we going to reveal? For me or are we going to do? For, for, yeah, both for both. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, if, I'll talk through my thought process. 
I think the olive oil is too obvious, obvious because it's like olive oil, all that Mediterranean yeah. diet stuff, maybe that gives you less chance of getting heart disease. Um, the next one, the Italian one, I mean, that's just very odd. It's odd, but you can imagine direct comparisons, right? It's pizza is an international food served the world over. Is there any difference between... Uh, you know, geographical locations and, uh, you know, lots of tomato, lycopene. You know, I, think, I, I can, can see that. export all that stuff. Indeed. I mean, I would say cold. That's I'm, what I I'm would go for. B. All right. So you're looking in B and Nick, you're going go for cold. C. All right. The correct answer is B. Pizza uh, is uh, exclusively uh, eaten in Italy. What's that? Why? Steve wins. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Uh, you'll have to read the paper. <laughs> yeah, we don't actually communicate science here. We just laugh at it. What? So what's the answer? It's B. Yeah, but why? Why? <laughs> I assume it must be just a, like, I don't know if this is a, a geographic, um, like, d- if they controlled for the fact that the people eating the pizza in Italy are Italian and presumably eat a Mediterranean diet, diet which we already know is... style and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fair enough. Uh, all, right, all right, the second one. So I won medicine. Recap. Yeah. Steve's winning. Steve's winning. Uh, the biology prize. Right. So this is a research group that discovered a difference between uh, living and dead cockroaches. The difference they discovered was it a that dead magnetized cockroaches behave differently to living magnetized cockroaches. B oh, that's that yes, isn't it? <laughs> dead cockroaches are less responsive to pain stimuli. Or C that living cockroaches are on average twelve percent lighter by mass. The soul. It's always twelve percent of a cockroach. <laughs> so what's the what's the stem? What's the opening? What's the question for that? Uh, they they discovered a difference between living and dead between living and dead. And one yeah. of them is one of them is magnetic. Mm-hmm. You okay? One of them's pain, and the other one. Well, is the, the pain s- one is nonsense. I mean, that's not even surprising. That dead cockroaches don't feel as much pain as living cockroaches. But how would Maybe they test no one it? Had... Do they are they are they take whipping out the the neurons and seeing the the speed at which they fire or something like that? Um, and what's the other one? Uh, and the last one is that uh, living cockroaches are twelve percent lighter by mass. It depends how long you leave them. <laughs> if you leave them for a couple of years, they definitely be less. Me- why is that even interesting, though? Why would you measure the mass of a cockroach dead and alive? It's the, it's the weight of a soul. Yeah, but they, then they would get lighter when a they soul. die, not heavier. They oh, get, yeah. They're getting heavier when they <laughs> Damn die. Damn it! It's the inverse soul. A for me. All I'm right. going to go for A as well. All right, you're both going for A, and you're both correct. Yay! Um, and I've actually got the paper up for this one. It's basically about where um, magnetic material deposits in the body of a cockroach. Right. Uh, so whether these... So there's um, active biological processes that are pushing it somewhere, yeah. and some physical principles that's pushing it somewhere else. Exactly. Right. All right. How did you get funding for that? <laughs> Just I think probably people did it paper. in their spare time, yeah. to be honest. All right, the Anatomy Prize. This is a good one. Uh, so this was a team that uh, won the Anatomy Prize for measuring the scrotal temperature asymmetry in a particular test sample. Uh, the group of uh, things or people that they uh, measured this asymmetry in were they A, liver transplant patients pre and post-op, B, naked and clothed postmen in France, or C, orangutans on either omnivorous or vegetarian diets. I really hope it's C. Because then you get to go and track uh, um, orangutans in Borneo. That's basically what someone just wanted to go on holiday in Borneo and they tried to tack on some science so they could charge it to a grant. That's what I'd do. 
They didn't want to go on holiday to France and look at naked postmen. Well, it depends on what how you how you like to spend your free time, I suppose. I'd rather try and hunt down an orangutan. So the liver sounds too noble to be. Ignorant. Yeah, I agree. Um, the orangutans. I'm going for the orangutans. I'm 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 going to go for the French postman. Postman. <laughs> All right, you're locking it in. Yeah, Nick, you are correct. Ah! A lack of thermal symmetry was seen in the right and left scrotum, whether naked or clothed, and this applied regardless of, of position or activity when clothed. Mm. Um, thermal difference between right and left scrotum could contribute why, why, to the asymmetry in the male external genital why, organs. Why um, being a postman is that relevant? Uh, I guess that was... Maybe they just knew a bunch of people in the, <laughs> okay. in the postal there's no, industry. There's, no, there's nothing... Okay, but it could have uh, been bakers or... They, so the first experiment was eight men uh, who had just signed up for it. N of eight? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem enough. The, the Even second see... was 11 postal employees working in a standing position for 90 minutes continuously. And then the third experiment was 11 bus drivers. So right. that's I, presumably they were sitting for a 90-minute period. Fair enough. So that's, a, you know... All right. Well, it's robust. all square now. All right. The chemistry prize. Yes. Uh, this team, uh, based in Japan, uh, won the chemistry prize for estimating uh, the volume of what substance produced per day by a typical five-year-old child. Did they measure not. wind, urine, or saliva? For estimating. You can win a prize just for they guessing. They estimated the total, yes. They must have made some They must have made some Sorry, it was saliva, wind, and... Wind, urine, or oui, saliva. Oui. Wee oui, wee. Oui. I feel. Like, I feel like wind. I feel like uh, urine. That's again. It's too. It's too noble for there that. There must right? be like, some comparison. Must be some here. studies. I mean, why were they doing it? There must be a difference between one group of five-year-olds and another. Otherwise, what's the, <laughs> what why is it make? interesting? <laughs> just yeah. Just Unless guess they the, Otherwise, it's just guessing a number. Six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say saliva because I think that's that's what you'd assume. I'm thinking here. So the other options were urine and I have to go with Steve. I, I think it's saliva as well. Then you're both correct. It is, in fact, a, uh, a prediction so of salivary production of volume. And how much was it? Uh, estimated to about 500 mils. A day? A, a day. Pint, a pint of spit? Yes. That's assuming that the flow rate is virtually zero during sleep. And I don't know if that's a safe <laughs> assumption to make. But Do you um, know why yeah. they were doing it? Uh, it's published in the Journal of Oral Biology, uh, so maybe it's got dental. Uh, it might have something to do with dentistry because so saliva is important for pH getting rid of. Maintaining, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. that's why you chew gum. That's mm. what they claim in the ads. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. All right, so it's everything to play for in the last question. Going into who's going to be the supreme champion of the universe, Nick? Um, that's what we're playing for, right? We are. And this it's is the big, peace prize. It's a big one, isn't it? This is this is peace prize. Peace prize. This is over the whole of the science shed season three. We're playing for supreme champion of the universe. Oh. It's come down to this. Oh my god! He sounds super excited. Coming <laughs> <laughs> in. All right. Um, so the peace prize went to a research group who were trying to quantify something that was previously unquantifiable, uh, and this particular thing was either a the relief of finding a lost item keys, wallets, passports, etc. B, the pleasurability of scratching an itch. Or C, cortisol reduction uh, in response to watching videos of baby goats. 
Well, if the growth of the internet is to, be, is to be explained by any mechanism, it's clearly got to be the GOAT hypothesis. Why else would people create the internet other than to share cute videos with each other? Um, so, so they're trying to quantify something that's unquantifiable. That's, so I, that's I feel like, not yet been quantified. So I feel like the relief of scratching an itch, one could quite easily quantify that because, well... Yeah. How I mean, would you design an experiment to too, do that? That's too obvious. The well, itch well, thing. Itching is a thing. It's like a medical thing, itching is. We've done that. I've been done loads of times. So there's persistent itch is like a big medical problem. So that was A, was the itch. Was that's, that? B. Oh, that's B. And yep. what was A? Lost items. Yep. It's the pleasure of items. the satisfaction of finding yeah. a lost item. Which I really be? like that one. I really like that one. Because there is such an intangible pleasure to finding something that you thought was lost. Mm. I just feel that's a really, you know, if that's not the real one and you thought it up, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I will say nothing. And uh, then the other one is the goats. Which yep. I feel that's I'm probably the, the most obvious yeah, one. Yeah, I'm going for goats. I'm going to go for A just to mix it up. Okay, well, we're going to have to have a tie break because you're both wrong. No! no! It is the pleasurability of scratching an itch. Apparently, there are topographical differences in itch intensity and the effectiveness of scratching in relieving the itch varies depending on where it is, right. and the associated pleasure is quantifiably different. Where is it most satisfying? Uh, <laughs> forearm and ankle, the greater the itch while scratching, the really? higher the pleasurability. I did they do like... Did they do... Did they do... <laughs> did they do... <laughs> don't, don't say that word. <laughs> uh, asking, do, uh, did they do gender-specific studies? Did they is that do... You, did they do any of the undercarriage? Uh, it's not mentioned in the uh, abstract of the paper, mm. but maybe you'll maybe if you're rewarded. We all know it's it. very satisfying, isn't all it? All right, so it's come yeah. down to a tiebreak for the Supreme Emperor of the Universe. Okay. And thanks for moving us along. Yeah, I thought I'd better do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go to uh, the um, the physics prize. Is, is so obvious, though. Well, you're going to think on your feet. I reckon though. you should go and pick a question from Trivial Pursuit's Genus Edition. Oh, like oh yeah, okay. Obviously, Science and Nature. No, not Science and Nature. A random one. Something completely <laughs> random. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. to do that. All right, I'll go get it. <laughs> I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because Steve will have studied this. <laughs> so I've kind of set myself up to fail here. Are we All back right. on? We're back on. Here we go. Right, so... Right, so Ellen has now got the whole box of the Genes Trivial 1984 Pursuit. Genesis This edition. is what it's come down to. <laughs> For Supreme Member of the Universe. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Who went missing in 1987 and turned up planting potatoes for a Scottish crofter? And these questions are dated, aren't they? So we went missing in 1987 and turned up planting potatoes oh, for wait. Scottish oh, crofter. Oh, wait. Oh, God, Oh no! <laughs> terrible podcasting. <laughs> terrible, terrible podcasting. Why do we decide this? It's some. It could be. I could do like a "Who am I?" I'll give you. I'll start feeding you information <laughs> about this person. This person was born in 1948. Mm. Uh, born in England. Mm. Born to famous parents. Mm. <laughs> uh, don't stop. No. It, is it? Is it Prince Charles? It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It was in 1948 that did it. 
Oh. My, my, it's a year older than my mum, and I know Prince Charles is a year older than my mum. Why? Was that a big story? Apparently. That he went, oh, <laughs> I never uh, heard that before. Really? I've never heard of that. Okay, let's move on, and let's talk about the Nobel Prize in Physics. Uh, physics! Uh, exoplanets. Oh, <coughs> uh, yeah. I think, I we think were talking about that quite recently, weren't we, exoplanets? That, that is, I mean, as discoveries go, that discovering the first ever planet outside of our own solar system... It's a biggie. Massive. It's totally a biggie. worthy of a Nobel Prize. It's a biggie. It's yeah. a biggie. So I think we just move on there. It's obvious. obvious. Why was anyone doing it? Why, why did they not get it sooner? How did they do it, Steve? Mm, don't know. I think I know. So it's to do... So the, the, the initial one was to do with looking at the... Um, the light from stars as a as a planet passes in front of it. I think the first one. There are two different ways. I think that's the important thing to remember. There, are, there is the wobble based. When yeah. you've got a big planet, you can see the wobble. If you've got a small rocky planet, the wobble's not very visible. But when the you get oh, a right. occult, when you get an occultation of the planet, you get a dip in the light yeah. output, and that's how they're identifying so many now. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. So hard, yeah, that was to. Um, James Peebles, Michael Mayer. J- James P. Balls. <laughs> Peebles. Peebles. Not P. Balls. James P. Balls. Peebles. Because like you'd, you'd want to make sure that you emphasised your middle initial, wouldn't you? If your mm. name was James Balls <laughs> and your middle name was Philip, for instance, you'd be absolutely certain to yeah. call yourself, hey, I'm James P. Balls. <laughs> <laughs> seems, it seems like you've thought about this. Nick. What? Chemistry. Chemistry is definitely the most boring of all Nobel Prizes. Definitely not true. And it was actually chemistry this year. Because all the chemists. So as a chemist, yeah, I usually, don't Because chemistry is so dull. It's usually no, like biology, isn't it? Not it's true. basically biology. That's not true. Um, are, you, are you angry that last year's was biology? No, I'm never angry when it's biology at mm. all. I think it's wonderful. Um, but, so, but there is a definitely, a, particularly inorganic chemists, they're the most uh, um, irreverent, I would say, about when... when uh, uh, chemistry goes to um, the the biology. Normally, it's normally chemists that are working on biological problems that yes. win it, rather than and so that happens to be um, cryo EM is a good example. The one a couple of years ago, um, um, but this year it went for to John Goodenough, who should have won it about twenty five years ago. Well, I don't think he was good enough. About hey. um, for the lithium ion battery, I mean that's as they go. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? So oh, so it was, changed it was the world. Lithium ion battery. Yeah. I mean, come on, that's pretty important. Yeah. Before you start complaining about, oh, it's the most boring. Literally well, we everything, modern society is entirely based upon lithium ion We wouldn't have a Toyota Prius if we didn't have the lithium iron battery, uh, would Yes, we? we would. Would we? Yeah, the nickel cadmium was the first one. <laughs> but we wouldn't have a Tesla. And we, we wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have a mobile phone. You wouldn't have a laptop. Bloody hell. You know. I think they're overrated then. Why? I think my life would be better without either mobile phones or laptops. Oh, come and on. And I'll never own a Tesla, will I? He's the oldest person to ever win a Nobel Prize. So. I do like. I tell you one reason why I'm I'm glad about that. USB bike lights. Yeah. Revolutionised my life. Well, there you go. They're, they're powered by lithium ion battery. Great. Okay. Thank so take you. Take it back. Finally, Thank you'll you, allow it. Mr. Good enough. Doctor Good enough. <laughs> Professor Good enough. Um, but yeah. So lithium ion. I think again. So, so this year we had discovering stars. Like very anyone can understand that. 
lithium-ion battery, anyone can understand that. And this weird hypoxia that doesn't really make much sense and makes Lance Armstrong win things. So I say, I say, screw you, physiology and medicine. <laughs> screw you. Shed. Is this where you live, Steve? The shed is a bit bigger at the moment. Bloody yeah. love your little flat here. Do you, like, do you like my flat, Brian? Lovely. I like the guitar. you got guitars got on the wall. guitars on the wall. I've got can you play the guitar, the guitar, mate? I can a little bit, yeah. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Can you, you play the guitar? Can you do Stairway to Heaven? Of course you can do I Stairway. bloody love Stairway to is Heaven. It because can you do Back in Black by ACDC? I can do Back in Black. Oh, my bloody hell. God, I love that. Yeah, anyway... I'd, you know, one day I'd love to hear about how a guitar works. You know, like we in could the do science a science fish, shed about bit of guitar. Yeah, mate, because you know the guitars with the big thing at the back when you know echoes around it. Yeah, like an I can I can guitar. see how that's working, but them up there with the electric bits, yeah. the electric. I don't understand how that works, yeah, mate. We'll have to we'll tell you what we'll do. A Brian inspired science shed where we just can collect a series of questions that you want to answer. Bloody! How else could I interact with the science shed? Then, <laughs> I tell you what, if anyone's got any questions for Brian and or questions for us, they should tweet us. At Twitter. Oh, I'm loving that. Yeah. I'm doing a bit of twitting. Twitting, is yeah, that right? Twitting. Do, do you like the Twitters? Oh, mate. Yeah? Yeah, oh. 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 Since we What's last your... spoke, yeah? I got myself a, one of them smartphones. Oh, really? Bloody great. Do you like that? Yeah, it's bloody great. You can get check the Wolf School Nokia. if you want. It's a bit knackered, it's an old one. <laughs> Doesn't work very well anymore, mate. You've got a Nokia You know them? You know, like a girl from the train, and it's like a kind of a cliche, because that guy, what's he called? Forget about it, Karen!